Well, good morning. We are, uh, we're in a series called Compelling King. The Compelling King. And we're answering this question. So, what's so great about Jesus Christ? What's the draw to worshiping Him? And as we've talked this through, we started and we went from Genesis to Revelation. Just looking at some spot checks along the way of who Christ is. So, let's throw up the chart just to remind ourselves. This is the built in that literary fashion, so you see the rising action up to a climax, the falling action. And we just stopped and we looked at Christ along the way, right? We looked in the beginning, down in the bottom left, Creator King. In the beginning, God created. And in the midst of His creating and creating in perfection, well, then how come it's not like that now? And we answered that as well as we talked about Genesis 3 and our own choices and our sinful ways as man that brought in pain to this world. And all of a sudden, the creation that the king has created is somewhat spiraling off. Question, what's the king going to do? And so then we've moved forward through this storyline in scripture, watching our king act. He's a preparing king and a serving king, both in the Old Testament and up into the Gospels, as we saw him beginning to say, hey, here's how I'm going to work with you. And this is what my holiness is like, the law. And, and here's how I'm going to interact with saving you with the shed blood of a lamb as a replacement payment. And be prepared. This is how I'm going to work with you. Our preparing king and our serving king. But then at the top in the climax, he became our sacrificing king. The ultimate gift for us. His shed blood for you and for me at Calvary. Us having a chance. Literally, you can put over that top of that. Now there's a way. Right? Like hope given, Christ providing. Where there was no way, now there's a way for forgiveness. The climax. And then we start into the falling action, which is where we live today in the church age, with the interceding king, him on behalf of us, on the throne for us, advocating, defending, but literally also working in our lives on a daily basis. Our king interceding for us. What an amazing privilege. And we talked that week about Revelation 4 and 5 and the power worship that's taking place even now in the heavens and that we get to partake in it in little bits here and in a lot forever. And then we started talking about the resolution. We talked about the coming king in Revelation 19, how he is coming again. And the second time he's coming, he's coming as lion, not as lamb. He is coming to put things right. That's our king. And we can count on him. He's coming. Why? Next step, the reigning king. He is coming to reign. And we talked that next week about Revelation 20. That was last week. As we looked at the millennial kingdom and him in charge. That's a lot of stuff to be going over, isn't it? Did you realize we went over that much of the king, right? As we're talking from Genesis to Revelation. This week, we're talking about, so, so, so what? So then what happens? So yeah, he's reigning. Now what? And the answer is, He's not done. We started in the beginning with a creator king in Genesis 1. And we see in Revelation 21, the bookend to that, the creating king, recreating everything new. And it's going to last that way for all eternity. That's what we're looking at today is heaven, that new creation and what it's going to be like. Before we jump into that, let me just ask you a couple questions. True, false. You ready? I'm going to need you to cry it out. True, false. About heaven. It's all about the place. It's, it's like a vacation. It's not really about God necessarily. It's just about the place. I want to go to a nice spot. True or false? 
Okay, we're on the ball. True or false? Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. True or false? Where do we get that from? It's a wonderful life. It's not a wonderful theology, but it's a wonderful life. Third, when humans die, they become angels. False. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we're told we will rule over the angels. Let that one sink in for a moment, right? Number four, there's no color in heaven. It's pretty much all washed out white. It's just so bright. It's like all white. No color in heaven. True or false? Yeah, remember when we talked about the throne room and the amazing colors, the emerald rainbow and the deep sapphire and ruby colors and the, no, there's a ton of color in heaven and we're going to see a lot of it today as we look at the passage. Number five, all we will be doing is singing songs. The same songs forever and ever and ever. Amen. True or false? False. Worship is way more than singing. And we will be worshiping. And we'll be worshiping with song. But we're going to be worshiping with way more than song. Every opportunity for you to have creative expression to say, look how great my God is. And he's designed me to do this. And I'm doing it to the utmost for him. That's a huge part of heaven. Well, what is it I'm going to be doing? I don't know. I don't have that note. We'll get to that, I guess, when we get to heaven, right? The details of it are going to be worked out. But an amazing opportunity for you to have a completely uninhibited expression of love for him and his glory. Worship. Last, you can get to heaven by being really good. False. And we need to be on that big time. Like that's a really serious error being taught in today's Americas, that if you try good enough, if you try hard enough, if you can check enough boxes, then maybe God will look at you and go, close enough, come on in. That's so much more about the place than it is about the person. So we wrap the first and the last one together to simply say, let's not forget, heaven is all about an eternity with our almighty king as our almighty king. And we'll be worshiping and praising him and celebrating his glory forever. And we will be utterly satisfied. And it is so not about how good we did here on earth, but so much more about, Lord, did I let your shed blood cover me as a replacement payment? Are you my king? Okay, enough lead in. Did you notice they're all false, by the way? Yeah, that was a little tip afterwards, right? So today we're talking about heaven. And what heaven's going to be like? What is this eternal reign of him going to be like? We're coming from Revelation 21. We got the ushers coming forward. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will get one to you, okay? But we're starting in Revelation 21. And we're going to answer a little bit about our king and his new creation. First point. The mighty king will make all things new. The mighty king will make all things new. We're coming right out of Revelation 21, 1 through 8 with this. So let me just start reading. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. It starts out, Then I saw. Like, we've talked about this before. This phrase literally means, well, it's and in the original language. But when you put it into a narrative format, you're saying this, and next this, 
and next this, and you're connecting them all together. It's saying in sequence, this is what's happening. So the sequence is coming after something. Then I saw, well, what's it coming after? Let's just throw the slide up there real quickly. This is our, uh, do you remember this timeline from last week? So just remember, we talked about the first heaven and first earth. That's Genesis 1 and the creation. And we move all the way through. The millennial kingdom was Revelation 20 last week. We had Revelation 19, as second coming that week before, right? And so we're done with the millennial kingdom. We're done with the great white throne, which is all those who don't trust in Christ standing before him. And now we're at the new heaven and new earth. We're at the end of the timeline. We're at the, and it continues on for eternity, part of it. This is where we are in the timeline, okay? Revelation 21, then I saw. All right. So first, he's talking all about restoration. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why are there new ones? Well, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. When did they pass away? Revelation 20, verse 11. Remember, we talked about this last week. John MacArthur labeled this the great uncreation. It says that as Jesus Christ sat on the great white throne, his presence made the earth and sky flee away. They were no more. In that moment, the one who spoke and things came into existence spoke them out of existence. The uncreation. So there is no earth and sky anymore. And so Revelation 21 says, let's fill the gap. Our all creator, our all powerful creator has now put in a new heaven and a new earth to replace the old. Notice the sea was no more. It's interesting. You know, we're in a pretty much a water based environment. You know what I'm talking about? Huge amounts of water all over this globe. We have 90 percent water in our blood. Our flesh is like 65% water. We are largely water-based. Uh, in heaven, in this new heaven and new earth, the sea will be no more. It's not about heaven with water. It's going to be different. It's going to be based on something else. And we're going to talk about that as we move along through this chapter. But just know this, the sea, yeah, not so much anymore. It says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now we're starting to see God as architect and builder. What's it going to look like? Notice the city's called holy. Why? Not because it has a lot of holes in it. Right? The holy city. This is because the inhabitants are perfect. This is you and me glorified, living in perfection. And the very totality of the city is named holy. Because we finally have been brought to a level where we're literally living out what God had originally intended for us. His holiness in our holiness in that city. What an awesome privilege. The new Jerusalem will be called holy. It will be, as he saw it here, coming down out of heaven from God. So we caught it in the transfer. It's being brought down from heaven. It's being brought down by the creator, God, and being delivered to the new earth. And as it's being brought down, it says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Have you ever been at a wedding and you're watching the bride and groom after they're married and they're coming around to tables and they're talking to people and everybody's talking at the table and they're chit-chatting, right? And the bride comes up and everybody's like, just hold on. And they keep talking. Have you ever seen that happen? Never, right? The bride walks up and you're like, and we're done, right? And y'all turn and you're paying attention now. We were just at a wedding on Friday night and it was just cool to watch as they were moving around amongst tables and to watch people stop. And everything is about the bride and groom for the moment as they just talk 
and interact about what's going on with them and how excited they are and how great the ceremony went or whatever they want to say. And then they let it go and then they move on. And then people can go back to chit-chatting about whatever it was that was so much less important than the bride at that moment. Know what I'm talking about? That's what's happening here. The, the whole city of Jerusalem, you and me as a part of it, being presented and prepared like a bride walking around. It is post the marriage, but we are walking around through there. It's like we're being presented up and he goes, hang on, check this out. Bride's coming. And the new Jerusalem's being presented. Okay. That's what's taking place there. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. 20 times we hear the loud voice throughout Revelation. This is the last one. Outside voice. It was a big deal in Revelation, right? Getting attention. The loud voice. What was the loud voice saying? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you hear the word with in there? Over and over and over. May we grasp that heaven is not about a place. It's about a relationship with the Almighty. We will be with Him for all eternity. Great. What value is there in that, Tim? Glad you asked. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things passed away. There will be... No more tears shed. No more hurting. When it says tears wiped away, I mean, this was very vivid for me this week. We had our kids uh, in some camps this week. Our younger was in a band camp and our older was uh, helping out at Camp of Champions. And it was a tough week. There was some, uh, well, you know, it's summer, so lack of sleep. And they're up late and then getting up early. And a couple things maybe didn't go the way they wanted in the early part of the week. And there were some tears being shed as they were sharing some of it with me. And both daughters at different times, I had them leaning against me, head against my shoulder, as they're talking about it and explaining what was disappointing or hurtful or scary or whatever. And a tear would come out and just run across the cheek or down the nose. And, and I had a chance to just kind of wipe away that tear for the moment as I was listening and continue to wipe the tear away. And as I held them, they just kind of got through it and got ready to go again. The, the bummer is when I'm wiping away the tears, there's going to be some more of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can help in the moment, and there's some comfort in it, but it's not like this. When he says that he will wipe away your tears, he's saying, last cry, all done, no more hurt. Man, you're just going to have to think about that for a minute. Try to let that settle in. Waking up in the morning, and that thing is no longer gnawing at you. Like, like going throughout the day, and somebody says something... And it's just always nice. Do you know what I'm saying? Like no more pain. Tears wiped away. No more death, it says. No more death. No more visitations. No more losing a parent to a tough, tough sickness. No more tragedies in losing a spouse or a child. No more. With the loss and the grief the devastation and the pit that sits in your stomach that lasts for months and while the world goes on again and seems to have forgotten you're left holding the hurt of that loss never again never again that's that's being with him for all eternity 
No more crying, no more mourning. That kind of comes along with those pains. You know what I'm talking about? It's a way for us in human terms to express, yeah, ouch. You know what I'm saying? Like that was not feeling very good and I am disappointed and I am hurt and I am lost and I am not sure which way to turn next. And yeah, that's not going to be there. Not going to be there. I love that he decided to describe heaven like what it would be not. Like, let me tell you what was so broken in the beginning that is so gone now. Grasp it. It's no longer there. This is what came in in Genesis 3. I'm getting rid of it in Revelation 21. Grasp it. It's gone. No more pain for the former things from that broken world are over. That's the value of being with him. No more aches. No more waking up and having a headache because your pillow wasn't fluffy enough. It's a real problem. I have it sometimes. No more fears. What are they going to think of me? What if I fail at? None of that is going on. No insecurities. No being hurt. No hurting somebody else with your words or your lack of words. With your being there or your lack of being there. Everything is going to be perfect. No physical pain. No emotional pain. No spiritual pain. What an amazing privilege it's going to be to be with him. Amen? That's heaven. Okay. One other piece that he starts to describe here is the eternal redemption is complete. Check this out. This was amazing to me. I don't know how I had missed it in the past, but it just jumped off the page this week to me. It says, and he who was seated on the throne said, this is Jesus Christ now, behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. Notice this. It's in the ING form. I am making. It's in the present tense. It's going to be going on and it's going on for eternity. That's the way it's written in the original language. This is not a one-time shot. Behold, I made things all new. That's not what he said. He says, behold, I am making. Get ready because heaven is going to be a continual process of God saying, check this out. That's what's going to be going on. I'm making all things new. And every time you turn around and every time you're talking to me, you're like, wait a minute. Was that there before? That's what's going to be going on. Are you kidding me? This is going on now? I never even knew that. It's just something new that's come up. God is not going to stop being creator and designer. More than that, though, it says, hey, John, stop with the open jaw thing. That's what's going on. I think John stopped right here and he went. And he goes, keep writing, write this down. Look, look what's next. He says, write these things down. For these are the words, trustworthy and true. Get that pen moving, man. You're not here to just see and drop your jaw. Record some of this. Watch this. This is my phrase to you. It is done. That's the phrase that blew me away. Let me tell you something. Genesis 1 starts out with creation. Revelation 21 basically ends the redemptive process right there with that phrase. It is done. I am the king who has been correcting and restoring, and I have just completed the work. This is now the beginning of perfect eternity. Right here, baby. Get that recorded down. That's what's going on as he's talking with John. 
It's done. No more hurts, no more pains. The beginning of the way I intended it in the original. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Like, it's all starting and ending with me. It's all right here. I am all it. Look to me. And then he says, to the thirsty, I will give him from the spring of the water of life without payment. Whatever need will not be a need because it will be fulfilled. I'm telling you this. I'm there for you. I'm telling you this. You are absolutely going to be completely satisfied in all of your needs and desires. If you don't want it, well, it wouldn't be there. And if you do want it, well, you're in a perfect position, glorified. Your wants and desires are exactly where he's at, and it's there for you. That's heaven. Complete perfection and interaction with him. Never presumption that it's all about us. We're interacting with him in such a perfect way that we're in complete union with him. Heaven. That's what it's all about. It says, to the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Relationship. That's what we have coming to us. is a perfection of relationship that will blow us away. And here's the big deal. He uses the word but next, which means and the opposite now. Where there is not relationship. Where you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But as for the ones who are known by their own actions and not by my shed blood. He says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, all of them, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you want to be known by your own works, if you want to try to get there of your own free volition, well, verse 8 is the promise and the guarantee. Be careful. That's not where we want to be. Heaven is a place for eternal awesomeness for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ as their king. May we find ourselves there. My simple request is this. Let's put our sufferings in perspective. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8. I used to always call it the country verse because in the King James it starts out, for I reckon, I don't know why it starts out the way, but it does, okay? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of, to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Do not get caught up in the moment of the sufferings. Keep your eyes forward. Do not compare them. It's unbelievably incomparable. His heaven so much bigger than our sufferings. Amen? Yeah, it's easy to say that, isn't it? And then we wake up tomorrow with that thing going and that stuff gnawing. Help me here. We all together have to be setting our sufferings down. This world is broken and quite frankly, we're broken. And we need to be constantly laying it at his feet and saying, your glory, perfection cannot be compared with what I'm going through today. I'm laying it at your feet, Lord, and I'm looking forward to you coming. Come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. That is the story of our king and their first challenge. Put your sufferings in perspective. Second, second point here. The mighty king will give an awe-inspiring home for his followers. The mighty king will give an awe-inspiring home for his followers. 
This is basically House Hunters International on steroids. So get ready. Here we go. Okay. He's going to walk us through heaven and give us just a little taste of what that future home is going to look like. He doesn't show us three where we have to choose one. He shows us one and it's just doggone good enough. You know what I'm saying? Okay, here we go. So a little bit of then sequence word, just keeping it all in mind. It flows. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me. This angel was seen last a thousand years earlier. Remember, we're at the beginning of the new heaven here. A thousand years earlier, before the millennium, this angel was one who had delivered one of the bowls, one of the last final wraths of God released. And he recognizes him. He's like, hey, that was one of those bowl angels. Okay, that's what he's saying. This guy had a lot to do with the end. And now he has a lot to do with the new. And he's introducing some things to me. He said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Like, you got to check this out, man. Let me give you a perspective that nobody else has seen. Look how awesome this view is. And this angel grabs a hold of John and it says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. There are great high mountains on the new earth. That's We know that, right? We saw the new earth created and then he's taken out to some great high mountain. What's it look like? I don't know, but it's going to be unbelievable. And he's standing from this great high mountain, getting a perspective as the holy city of Jerusalem, the one he had just seen a little bit earlier, right? He had seen the holy city of Jerusalem coming down. Now he's getting a perspective as it's still coming down. And he's seeing this thing being delivered up as that wife of the lamb. And he's looking at the holy city, the one with you and me in the inhabitants there, living in perfection and total joy with him. It says, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It's radiance, the glory of God. The very center of the beaming of this city is the presence of God Almighty. His perfection, His glory. Remember how we've talked about what is it that transforms us? Basking in His glory. It, it, it's that, that um, story that we hear, that, that truth that we hear, that truth that we hear is mind-boggling when we see that we literally get to stand in His glory and that changes us from one degree of glory to another. That is but a taste of what's going on here. With the complete glory of God, completely unveiled for all of eternity, beaming forth the radiance of Him throughout the entire city, shooting beyond the walls, and as it's being lowered down, just standing in awe and seeing the city delivered up. That's what's taking place. It says it's like Jasper. This is like a clear um, jewel. It says right after it, right? Clear as crystal. So it's like a diamond just shooting spectrums of color off of it as the glory of God shoots through. Now we talk about the walls and the gates of the city. It said it had a high great wall with 12 gates and the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel and on the east three gates and on the north three gates and on the south three gates and on the west three gates. Hey, Three times four equals 12. That worked out. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. What number seems to make a lot of sense right now? 12. We're hearing the word 12 a lot, right? There's 12 tribes of Israel, and there's 12 apostles, and there's 12 gates out there, and they're named after 
the tribes of Israel. And then there's 12 foundational pieces around this whole city. And those 12 foundational pieces are named after the 12 apostles. And in the midst of it, we see 12 gates being guarded by 12 angels. And an amazing picture is being drawn for us. Now, I got to tell you, our mind gets pretty small. Like all of a sudden, we're imagining the new Jerusalem in our head. And so you have this little image. So let's start making it a little bigger. Notice that it says, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold. That's an expensive ruler. A measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. Okay? So for all you geometry measures, the length and width are equal, so we would call that a a square. Okay? So it's a true square on its base. Its length and its width are equal. Well, how long are they? It says he measured the city with his rod, came out to 12,000 stadia. That's what it says in the ESV. About 1,380 miles. Some of them disagree a little bit on what a stadia length is. So some of yours might say 1,400 or 1,500 miles. But it's in that 1,380 to 1,500 miles range. Okay? On a side. That's like from Colorado all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. That's the duration of one side. That's its length. Its height is the same, so that's like Texas up to Canada, thereabouts. He also measured the wall. It was 144 cubits by human measure. And I love this. John's just throwing something in, which, by the way, was angels' measurements as well. Just a little insight. He's like, wow, your ruler's the same as mine. <laughs> just thought he'd throw that in, right? You know? So we have a wall that's 144 cubits. That's like 250 feet. So look at the width of this room times two and a half. That's the wall width running for 1,380 miles straight. That's a wall on a side. Okay. Now it says some things about how these look. Before we go into that, let's just talk a little bit about the vastness. I've talked to a couple people and as I saw this, I was like, wow, that's so cool. It's so big. And I'm talking to a few people and they're like, boy, it sounds small. I hope there's room for me. Right. So here's so let me just give you a little math. All right. So here we go. 1,380 miles on a side. You multiply those things out. It comes out to 1.2 billion acres. Okay, 1.2 billion acres, just on the flat, on the base. So if you and I each get our own, greedy that we would be if we did take it, but if we each got our own three-quarter acre property with a 5,000 square foot house and room for a street in front of it, there could be 1.2 billion Christians with their own mansion of sorts laid out just on the main ground. Now that's only... On the main, remember, it's 1,380 miles up. Our current atmosphere is only about 100 miles up, okay? So you could literally go up like another 10 miles and start another one of those, and then another 10 and start another one of those, and then another and another one of those. You could get like 130 billion rooms in this thing that are like 5,000 square foot homes on a three-quarter acre property. So I thought, well, is that enough? So I looked that up. So I did a quick Google on it and I went back and I just took scientists who were like, hey, I believe that the earth is 10 billion years old and so there's been people around for forever and here's my description of it. So what's your number then if you go way back that far? And they're like, we think 106.5 billion. They really calculated that. I'd have been like, I don't know, right? Like 106.5 billion, that's what they say, okay? But so you got a number like 110 billion and newsflash, we're already calculating it to have like 130 billion spaces with massive room. Like, is there enough room for me? Answer? Yeah. Okay, let's just make sure we grasp that. Hugely enough space 
for us to be amazingly satisfied forever with his creation. Okay? All right. Thanks for the measurements. We appreciate the gold rod. It helps a little bit, right? So what does this thing look like? It says the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. Jasper, again, we heard that described just a little bit earlier, and it's basically saying clear. It's like clear like a diamond. Like things shooting through it will become a spectrum array of color on the other side, just bursting off of this thing. That's 1,380 miles of wall reflecting and creating a spectrum of unbelievable arrays of color. That's what's coming off these walls. And then it says the city was pure gold. What kind of gold? I don't know because it says clear as glass. There's some kind of amazing purity to this gold. And it's absolutely clear as glass. The foundations of the wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. Now, remember, we talked about these foundations. There's 12 of them, and they're named after the 12 apostles, right? It says they're adorned by every kind of jewel. Take a guess. How many jewels do you think there might be listed here? 12 would be a good guess. 12 seems to be a real common number. Let's take a look, right? 12. So it says, the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. So they took some rock doctors and said, tell us a little bit about this. Like, what, are we, what should we know from this? And their summary was, you will never get a more brilliant collage of color than you will with these twelve stones. Absolute perfection in delivering a ray of spectrum color throughout that will just be awesome to the eye. And a priceless one to match, but an unbelievable look as you see it. And it says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made a single, made of a single pearl. Wow. That's a big pearl. That's a big clam. I don't know. I don't know. It says, and the street of the city was pure gold as well, transparent as glass. This is an amazingly gorgeous, pure place. It's unbelievably attractive to the eye. It's vast and spacious. It's completely holy. It's an amazing privilege for us to be a part of it. He then says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Let me tell you something. You don't go into a building anywhere. God is right there amongst, and you're in and with and about Him. There is no temple place where you go to gather and try to think about. He is right there amongst you and with you. It was an amazing sight to see everyone so satisfied with God so present And so beaming with glory, it says right after it, and the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb himself. The glory of God is the light. There is no more sun and moon and stars. Unnecessary. Everybody say, unnecessary. Like, that's where we're going. To a place where God himself so beams forth his glory that you literally need nothing to see. There is no darkness. It's completely lit up. He and his holiness and his glory for all eternity. That's 
where we're headed. His light, not a little light you pull with a switch. It says, and the gates will never be shut by day. I love this backwards logic, right? The gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night. So how long will the gates be open? Forever. Why? What does that mean? Well, gates were about protection. You closed the gates when there was some onslaught coming. The statement is, there is no evil coming near this place. Complete, complete perfection for all eternity. And total safety, nothing ever needing to protect you there. That's where we're headed. He says right after it, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. In other words, we each get to come in dropping down our, you wouldn't believe how amazing God is, testimonies. An amazing opportunity to constantly be lifting him up and showing off his awesomeness. And every time you turn around, you can't help but hear somebody saying, you should see what he did with, I could not believe, this is how great he is. Constantly lifting him up. Amazing glory that we're giving. Notice it says from the nations. What I love about it is America is supposed to be, I use the word supposed to, but supposed to be one nation under God. One nation. This is all nations under God and doing it right. That's what it's going to be. Complete honor to our Lord and King and everything he deserves. Totally satisfying in every measure. Absolutely perfect. No pain, no sorrow, constant amazement and awe with what he's doing. Notice it says right at the end there, but, every time you see the word but in Revelation 21, go, uh-oh, here comes something a little rougher. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We must understand that it is absolutely essential that our walk with him, that our trust in his shed blood be our everything. It's a what will determine our relationship with him for eternity. Walk on your own, stand on your own. And it's a rough end therein. That is a little walkthrough of the world's greatest house hunters international. And at the end of it, we're not going to be saying the negative thoughts. I mean, last night I was watching a house hunters and they were in Fiji. Did anybody see this? All right, so you and me, man. So we saw this in Fiji, and they're looking around for a house that has to be, it has to be under two million. That was the limit. It has to be. Like, I gotta keep it down, you know? So he gets in there, and they show him these places that are immaculate, and they get done with the first one, and I'm like, I'll take it! You know, and they're like, you know what? They're just a little too close to other people. Dude, there's big trees and stuff. Ignore it. You got the total beach out in front of you, massive sprawling estate, huge pools, and I don't want to see human beings. Okay. So they go to the next and they go to the next. They get done with three of them and they're like, they're really having to wrestle at the end about which one. I'm like, it's totally obvious. Take them all. Right? It's amazing what goes on as we look around and we start to evaluate. We start to get a little negative about things. Some 10 phrases about heaven you'll never hear. Ready? 10 phrases you'll never hear. This is it? You're never going to hear that. You're never going to hear somebody walking through heaven going, thought it would be better than this right? Number two, 
clean this place up. You're never going to hear that. It's not going to get into that state. Number three. Does anybody see my glasses? Not going to hear that. Number four. Not going to hear these statements. Ouch. I'll never hear that. Number five. I'm lonely. Never will you hear that. You're never going to hear this. Well, there goes the neighborhood. (laughs) Never going to hear that. No prejudice, no judgment. We're all in the same boat. Perfect before him, right? Uh, Another statement you're never going to hear. Somebody turn on the lights. There is a light and he will be beaming for all eternity and it will be totally, totally enough. We'll never hear. Hey, did you know that you just ran out of whatever? Never going to run short on anything. Number nine. Eh, been there, done that. Like, hey, have you been over and seen? Oh, I've been there, done that. Like, it's never going to happen. We're never going to get bored of what's going on there. And with the all things being made new constantly, there's always going to be more to be grabbing onto and seeing of his amazingness. And we're never going to hear that. And number 10. I thought this was a good one. I heard this from James McDonald. You're never going to hear this. Hey, have a nice day. Like, dude, that's kind of obvious, right? Is that not the totally? He's like, I think that's the tip that you're a new guy around here, right? Have a nice day. Dude, we all have a nice day. Get a clue on that, okay? Right? Heaven. It's an unbelievable opportunity for us to grab something we almost can't imagine. Because it's basically take almost everything that's a part of this life that's so broken and tragic and flush it. It's gone. Total perfection with him for all eternity. Wow. My request to us is this. Something we can apply. First Peter 1.17 Long for heaven. Long for a place where the tears are done. Where the sorrow is over. Where the hurt is finished. Where my lips stop offending people. Where my actions are misread. Where, where our hurts are constantly growing and enough with the pain of this place. Let's long for him to come and usher in his perfect place. It's biblical. First Peter 1.17. It's a motivator to stay on task. More than that, recognize he's making a place for you. Hey, we just talked about House Hunters International, right? John 14, 1 through 3 says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Hello, it's Revelation 21. That's what he's preparing for us right now as we speak. Long for a time of being with him. Okay, third point. The mighty king will provide life and relationship and it will last forever. The mighty king will provide life and relationship and it will last forever. What an awesome way for this piece to end It doesn't end with stuff. It doesn't end with color. It doesn't end with sizes of walls. It ends with time with him. Relationship. Because that's what it's all about. It says, then, sequence, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. Where is this river coming from? It's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This river is flowing out of the very throne of God. Now, it's called the river of the water of life. And we've all heard the statement, right? There's a river running right through the middle of heaven. We even sang some songs like that probably in our past, right? Although I have to tell you, the way these prepositions are set up, 
The water of life very well might not mean that it's actual water. But instead, it's something else that gives life. And the best analogy he can come up with is water. It's flowing not from some main mainline sea. We actually know now there's no sea. So this water is flowing straight from the glory of God and his throne. This very well could be the absolute glory of God pouring right through the middle of the city. Whatever it is, you absolutely will live and thrive on it. And I firmly believe it is not water we're going to be thriving on. It's going to be God himself. And this is him and his glory rolling right through the middle of the place with this beaming, clear, crystal, shining, unbelievable privilege to be drinking deep of him. Him. That's what heaven's going to be about. Him at the center and us drinking deep. Notice it says it'll be running through the middle of the street. And also on either side of the river, there will be a tree of life. With its how many fruits? That was a weak answer. With how many fruits? Yeah, if I ask how many, it's usually 12, right? How many stadia? 12,000, right? How many foundations? 12. How many fruits? 12. So maybe there's 12 months rolling through a year here. It looks like it says yielding fruit in it each in its month. So each month has an assigned fruit and every month the new tree brings forth something. It's an amazing statement of prosperity and provision by our God. But this tree brings more than that. Notice it says, the leaves of the tree were there for the healing of the nations. This is a privilege to live under a new regime with a new king, completely in charge, both spiritually and physically, and him reigning forever. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. God and us And him being glorified and us totally satisfied. That is the picture of heaven. It says that they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. How many of us have seen the face of Jesus Christ? Yeah, there better not be any hands up, right? If you have, we need to talk afterwards. That's not the face of Jesus. We're told we cannot see the face of God. As human beings, we're standing in in a horrible mess of sin. And we do not have the privilege of seeing the face of God. But let me tell you, in glorified bodies, in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, hanging out with him for eternity, face to face with the almighty, literally experiencing the closeness of his presence of one on one time with him, him with you, you with him for all eternity. Have you ever spent time with a really good friend where when you're walking away, you're like, man, I love being with them. We have so much fun. It was such a great laughter. I'd love to be spending some time. Have you ever had that? Imagine that times 60 billion as you spend this amazing privileged time with him. And it says at the end, night will be no more. They will need no lamp, night, light or lamp or sun for the the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. We're serving, but we're reigning. Right? It's always been the dilemma of Christianity. It's serve, but lead. Right? The serving and the reigning is going on together. And how does it work? It works in total perfection if you never make it about yourself. 
as it never becomes this thing where we're self-aggrandizing, we're just lifting him up. And we have a privilege for all eternity to do whatever it is he's called us to. So we can simply say, to you be the glory. And oh, by the way, it always goes well. It always works perfectly. And everybody's happy and everybody's enjoying it. God completely honored. Now that sounds worth being in. Amen? Amen. That's where we're headed. May we never lose sight of where we're headed. All right, so do me a favor here. Imagine now, if you need to close your eyes, do it. Imagine the most thrilling or rich or fulfilling experience that you've had. Try to imagine that. Okay. Right now we're running through a myriad of experiences and trying to grab one. Rich, fulfilling We're told in Ephesians 3 that he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think. Imagine that experience blown away every day for all of eternity. Life with him. That's what we're talking about. I would say it this way. Heaven. Physically, huge. Financially, Priceless, visually stunning, morally perfect, emotionally joyful, relationally deep, divinely his, personally satisfying, centered all on his glory. That's where we're headed. Amen. Oh, happy day. When we spend... Eternity with him. I'm telling you what, I read this passage and I want you to hear this for a second. As a pastor, one of the hardest things for me is working with the hurts and the struggles. It's sad. It's tough. There's times where there's hard tears. There's times where there's misunderstandings. It is done. Now I can say amen to that. May we set aside the hurts of this world. And so run after him that we can't even imagine how great it's going to be. God, we can't wait for you to get all the glory as you deserve. May you be lifted up. Oh, happy day. Let's pray.